You're listening to Steve Dace On Demand. Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show here live on The Blaze on demand at CRTV. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. If you'd like to join us, 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. You can also take advantage of the SteveDace.com inbox. Email us, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up a little bit later on here today, we'll play our game of buy, sell, or hold. Daniel Horowitz will be taking us inside politics here in about 30 minutes as well. But we begin, as we always do, with a little montage we like to call Here's What's Happened Since We've Been Away. What happened while we were away brought to you by a lack of self-awareness. We keep thinking that the biggest terror threat is something else. Some, some, some people who are marching you know, towards the border like it's imminent. And when the last time they did this, a couple hundred people came and they, you know, most of them did get into the country. Most of them tired, you know, got tuckered out before they even made it to the border. Um, so we have to stop demonizing people and realize the biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. Five of the Taliban Gitmo prisoners that the United States released in exchange for the deserter Bo Bergdahl have joined an insurgency group in Qatar surprising absolutely nobody. A guy named Jacob Wool, who most of you had probably never heard of till maybe yesterday, was a young entrepreneur and billionaire and a huge supporter of President Donald Trump. He was named in a referral from Robert Mueller to the FBI as being the instigator of a plot to drum up false allegations of sexual misconduct against Mueller. Wool had previously been ordered by the Arizona Securities Commission to cease and desist as an investigation into allegations he misled his investors was launched. Kanye West, just kidding, nobody cares. Jon Stewart had a lucid moment. We, the journalists, we, I think, believe that our job is to navigate the truth and to do the fact-checking and all the rest of it. So I think that's what motivates a lot of people. But I think the journalists have taken it personally. They're personally wounded and offended by this man. He baits them and they dive in. And what he's done well, I thought, is appeal to their own narcissism, to their own ego. Because what he says is these are the and the journalists stand up and say, we are noble, we are honorable, how dare you, sir? And they take it personally. The research here is clear. Restricting abortion access doesn't just harm women, it harms their children as well. Woman who had sex with 20 ghosts is now engaged to a spirit, aren't we all? And that's what happened while we were away in two minutes or less. Hey, don't they still have those laws about consummation? Right? That marriage has to be consummated in a certain amount of days after it takes place. And if it's not consummated, then it's effectively annulled. Don't they still have those laws? So how is that? Never mind. Let's move on to a more serious conversation. Don Lemon. What did we talk about yesterday, Steve? I don't know. I forgot. Was the yesterday the day the guy wrote the anonymous piece in the New York Times sabotaging the Trump 
administration within, or was it Brett Kavanaugh as a gang rapist, or uh, what, what day was yesterday? Among the dumbest things you could do a week before election is just to call the majority of an electorate racists. Well, I mean, the good news for the le- for Democrats is is Don Lemon did it on CNN, so, so we're, no one we're, was we're kind of in a tree falls in a forest territory here. But it, I, it's hard to take this seriously when it's it's not serious. But here's the issue: he is. Well, he thinks he is. He is not a serious person. He's insane. This is the lucid sanity cults produce. He is sitting there on one hand saying. We've got to stop demonizing people. He then demonizes people. I, I don't even have a problem. I wouldn't agree, but I wouldn't even have a problem if he said, let, let's, say, let's take the same statement and say, you know, we have to stop demonizing people in this country. And I think the biggest problem from my perspective as a, as a progressive, the biggest problem we have is that those who identify ideologically as conservatives have been radicalized by the Trump presidency. We would probably not agree with that, right? Mm-hmm. Would we take any offense at that on a personal level? No. I mean, it's why. Why is it any different when when I say um, there aren't any liberals anymore? They're leftists now. We're talking about belief systems, right? Sure. Belief systems are not a state of being. Belief systems can change. Do you believe everything you you believed twenty years ago? Do you believe it right now? Everything. Everything you believed twenty years ago. Do you believe it right now? No. No. Aaron, do you believe everything you believed when you were 12? I sure hope not. No. I mean, belief systems can change. Even, even if you've got a rock-solid personal you know, belief system, faith system, within, that, within the parameters that that, you know, that faith sets for you, you can change some of your beliefs within the, even the parameters that are set for you by your worldview, right? So belief systems can change. When you say, though, that... People based on their state of being. And let's forget white males. What if he had said, I think the biggest problem we have right now is people that are born physically disabled are just ruining this country. What would we say? That's heinous. Yeah. If we said, uh, I think the biggest problem we have right now is uh, uh, Latinos are ruining America. What would we say? Heinous. Or you see my point? If it was any other state of being, we would not hesitate whatsoever to call this what it is. We, we, we wouldn't hesitate at all. It's racism. And that's what this is. He is demonizing people based on their state of being. And he's doing it to another guy he's talking to who's white, who offers... And I, every time I watch that clip, I'm watching Cuomo's reaction. I want to see if there's any tell, wince, nod, anything. The fact he sits there. Remember when Keith Oberman and Dan Patrick did those great Sunday Night Sports Centers when we were kids, mm-hmm. and when the Jets, well, the Jets have sucked a lot, but when they sucked back then, and and it would be and uh, it'd be Keith Oberman talking and uh, interception uh, for the Jets quarterback Rich Kotite, head coach Jets stoic, right? They they cut to the shot of Rich Kotite on the Jets sidelines with no reaction. That's what Cuomo was stoic. He literally just said. Your race is bad. Oh, by the way, Don Lemon, who identifies as gay, and I'm sure he would tell you he was born that way. That's his state of being, right? So he shouldn't be discriminated against or targeted because he was born that way, Lady Gaga, and that's his state of being. Um, his, his beau he's dating is a white guy. 
his partner, lover, I don't know how serious they are, but um, his boyfriend is a white guy. This is what I said the other day. True conservatism, and I mean that in the idealistic way, calls their opponent's ideology evil or harmful or bad or, or mm-hmm. fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Progressives call their opponents evil or bad or fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And they base that on uh, skin color, immutable um, immutable factors, um, like what we just saw here. Um, it, it, is, it is striking. And you cannot, you can share a country with somebody who thinks your ideology is stupid. You can't share a country with some, somebody who thinks you're evil and must pay or must be, um, must be, um, must be dealt with. As we, that's basically the siren call here. That's basically what Don Lemon said. You can't share a country with, with somebody like that. Can I add to that as well? And this juxtaposes perfectly with that bit with uh, John Stewart because Christian Amanpour, uh, we— Whose the, perfume is yes, narcissism, The by journalists, the way. We, we believe that we are the fact-checkers. What's, did Chris Cromwell— Fact check right. anything right. there. He just, you know, he went into that somber nod. And, and, and same, that- same look that Jake Tapper had yesterday when the woman from GQ said Trump is radicalizing more people than ISIS. And did you see the, uh, just Christian Amanpour, when John Stewart says, no, but they've taken it personally. Did you see her? Oh, she just not, couldn't get it up. Pop, is that what you think it is, John? John, please tell me what to think. If somebody other than John Stewart, whose leg she wasn't humping at that very moment, said the exact same thing, but it happened to be a conservative. Oh, did you just say mob? Did you say boobs? Did you say this? There is no ability to fact check anything within this press. And 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 Don Lemon, of all people, knows that. He knows he can get away with murder on that screen. Just a couple days ago, Megyn Kelly got fired for talking about Halloween, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. And he just says this. The point you just made there, I think what's really everybody's going to applaud your 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 uh, punchline there at the end because it's really good and they should. But the meteor thing you said that you pointed out there, in my view, even though it was a great applause line, uh, the meteor thing is you don't fact check yourselves never. And, and I think this is the key to understanding how they lost the moral high ground to Donald Trump. Why to? The, the what's left of America, America. Trump can almost say and do whatever he wants, no matter how offensive, how outrageous it is, because they're going to choose him over them. It's the reaction I had yesterday when we played that montage of how many times they've said this is the beginning of the end. Mm-hmm. And I didn't vote for the guy. We sit here. I have, we, we, we've talked regularly for the last three years about whenever his, his brokenness has presented itself, how it bothers us. I watch, if, if you can do this to me, I mean, I, I risked my career. I did national TV appearances describing why I wouldn't vote for Trump. I didn't think he was morally qualified for the position. So, I, and I'm not a joiner or by nature anyway. I'm a contrarian. I kind of like being on my own. I don't feel like I need to belong to a group anyway. So if you can take someone like me, and when you play that montage we had on the show yesterday, and my initial reaction is, is it too early to vote? in 2020 just because just despite all of these people if you can do that to someone like me and i kind of march to the beat of a different drummer on my own the person who's actually normal unlike me what do you think you're doing to them 
I mean, you're the best get out the vote effort Trump has. And the idea that you don't check your, I can promise you this right now. If someone on our net, on any platform I'm a part of said that they said that out loud that a group of people is inferior based on their state of being, I am not abiding that. And, and the dude will not abide. I'm, I'm distant. I, hey, I'm not, I'm distancing myself from that. I, that's not what I do here. This I'm is not, exactly, I'm not doing that. This is exactly okay? what I mean by Republicans can win in spite of themselves. You're nailing it. Here, 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 here's, you know, it's the thing we, it's the column I have today for conservative review. Keith Oberman called Michelle Malkin, our cohort at conservative review, quote, a big mashed up piece of meat with lipstick on it. Called S.E. Cup, who used to be here and now is at headline news. Uh, a perfect demonstration of the necessity of the work that Planned Parenthood does. That's a quote. Matt Lauer had a rape dungeon. Ron, they, NBC refused to publish Ronan Farrow's expose on Harvey Weinstein that brought his empire down. Nicole Wallace is literally advocating violence against the president of the United States on television. They've, they kept defending Joy Reid when she lied about her social media account being hacked in order to protect her from the previous statements she made that are now no longer politically correct. Uh, how about the fact Brian Williams, who's a notorious liar, is still employed? They burned evidence or buried evidence that would have been exculpatory in clearing Brett Kavanaugh until well after the whole ordeal was already determined. This is just the entry level list. And and Chuck Todd wants to sit there to Eric Erickson and wave his arms about Rush Limbaugh. Have, have, hey, listen. I'm not a fan of the act that Russia has adopted in recent years. I don't listen anymore. Okay. But um, you guys probably don't have the, well, Steve, that's what about That's not what about What about is not calling out the obvious hypocrisy and lack of credibility someone has to, on an issue. What about is doing so in order to cover for your own obvious hypocrisy and lack of credibility. Okay, so like if Rush Limbaugh wanted to go after uh, NBC News while disregarding kooky conspiracy theories he may or may not be allegedly promoting, that would be an example if that's what's happening. I don't know. I don't listen. So I don't know. But that would be an example of what about ism. Um, Chuck Todd's actually the one doing the what about ism. He's the one saying to Eric Erickson on that clip we had yesterday. Well, what about Rush? What about Rush Limbaugh? What about Rush Limbaugh? What about yourself, bro? What about you? And I think that John Stewart was kind of touching on that at least a little bit, at least a little bit. And, and, and he did it even in a way that gave them the most benefit of the doubt. He essentially didn't challenge the idea that you are the paragons of virtue. So I wouldn't even buy that premise. But, he, but at the very least, he, he called them to some form of self-awareness. If you think you're the paragon of virtue, then every time this miscreant rattles his zipper, why do you come hither? I mean, shouldn't the paragons of virtue show a little bit more restraint than to get butt hurt every single time he calls you out and then you play to type? And so he can just sit there and say, see, they're exactly the people I told you they were. That's essentially what he was telling them. He was sitting there asking them, hey, my, my buddy Dave Chappelle, who is sitting here next to him, why do you play yourself with this guy all the time? You guys fall for the banana in the tailpipe. He is, he is um, you know, he's Eddie Murphy jumping into the back of your sedan saying, I ain't going to fall for the banana in my tailpipe. Sure as hell you are. You're going to fall for the banana in your tailpipe. Every single time he puts the banana in the tailpipe, you all fall for it every single time. And 
this is lucid sanity. This insanity. is what the, lucid insanity. Thank you. This is what the cult of progressivism has done. This idea that I, that I live in a, I, I don't I have I've I've created an existence that isn't real, but I have convinced myself that it is. When you watch, if you brought in a body language expert and had them assess Don, Don Lemon in that clip, these, that's oozing with sincerity. He believes this. This isn't, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, sensationalist journalism. He is a sincere advocate of something that is false. He believes this with every fiber of his being. And, and that's, guys, I don't know what else to, how else to explain it. That is a spiritual condition. So how do we rectify it? Well, ultimately, spiritual problems require spiritual solutions. Let me tell you how you won't do it, though. If we're on the topic of falling for bananas and tailpipes, raise your hand if you're shocked that whole linking arms with Kanye West thing didn't work out. No? You over there? No? You see any hands up? Not a one. Amazing. You shocked that didn't work? I mean, I'm just totally blindsided. Totally blindsided. One of my buddies who grad, who's a Leadership Institute grad under Morton Blackwell texted me last night and he said, this is Morton Blackwell's Rule 31, I think he said. You know, do not get into political alliances with people who have yet to show they are willing to sacrifice for the issue that you are aligning with them over. I'm like, dude, I, I have a lot of respect for Morton Blackwell, by the way. I'm just going to go, I'm going that 70s show. This is Red's rule number one. Don't be a dumbass. You got a better rule than that? Don't be dumb. Red's rule and only one rule, uh, don't be dumb. The idea that this was never, this was ever going to turn out any differently than it did yesterday, where he basically said Candace Owens uh, is a scam artist thief who used my likeness against my image. And uh, dude, <laughs> by the time we get to 2020, Kanye West is going to be an anti-Trump ads. Does anybody here want to argue with me that's not going to happen? No? Because this was always going to end this way always and we fall for this canard of celebrity relevance name me a time celebrity relevance the canard that this worked for us can you think of once that it worked we're we're a celebrity we just suddenly had a sudden awakening and it turned out scott bio (laughs) bail see the fact you don't even know how to pronounce his name i just know him as bob blah blah from arrested development yeah charles you know what? The last time it worked, Charles was in charge. Yes. What was that, 25 years ago? But man, oh man, remember we found out Bruce Jenner was a conservative? Eh. He doesn't even exist anymore. Bruce Jenner does not, is not even a person, not even a thing anymore. This canard of celebrity relevance, and we crave it. Oh yeah, we've got that, you know, John and Kate couple. Let's have Zonder Van give them a nine-figure, three-book deal. Are there are new celebrity crushes, man? Yeah, 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 he's out there burning lung darts, tapping the tapping the 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 uh, you know the 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 nanny. I mean, she's you know I don't even know what she's doing now. Is she on queer eye? I don't know. Okay, this never works. 
we we have this thing on the right where we love to say, on one hand, we love to say, and nobody cares what celebrities think, except the last two Republicans or two of the last four Republicans to win the presidency. What were they before they won the presidency, guys? What were they? What were Reagan and Trump? What were they? Celebrities? Politicians. No. Celebrities. celebrities. They were celebrities. So. And so on one hand, when nobody cares what Cher thinks, nobody cares. And yet if Cher tweeted out, I, I, didn't, I didn't know what a Cardi B was. I didn't, know what a, I didn't know what a Cardi B was until she tweeted out about a year ago, what's the government doing with my money? And I would like to list for you the conservative outlets that made her their new cover girl in a span of three minutes. But the, the, it would be far closer or, or far quicker to name for you the ones that did not. I will begin now. Yeah, everybody did. So we crave this celebrity relevance while passively, aggressively claiming nobody cares what celebrities think. And every time we go down this road, it blows up in our face. Every time. Every time there's a celebrity realization. Like somebody we had no idea thought anything close to the way we do. And then the day, and then they just, they have a sudden awakening Name me a time, guys, this has worked. Name me one. Well, it, we never give them any meat on the bone so that they want to stay. It, you know, it's, it's like, hey, we got this major motion picture we'd like you to do. All right, sh- show me around the studio. Yeah, well, no, we don't really have a studio and we really can't pay you. We don't have a script or anything like that. But um, we, we think you're fantastic. Uh, and, and, so not, and then you have that uh, and juxtaposed with, you know, he might have fun. For a couple of days running in and giving you know all the cameras around him and and going around and giving Trump a hug, um, but then pretty quick he gets uh, called Uncle Tom on a regular basis, and there's really not uh, adequate support system. Uh, uh, anybody really serious outside of you know uh, uh, the the sites that you just mentioned mm-hmm. uh, getting their clicks off of this? No, no one's going to stay in it for the long haul. Uh, it, it's just it, the, now I'm summing up all the reasons why the the GOP does not deserve to win. They can simply only win in spite of themselves. Where what is this? What do you think drives? I have my own theories, but what do you think drives this? I'm old enough to re- when I first started in this business. When I moved from sports to n- daily news talk, is when Kanye West was first becoming a thing. And one of the ways he first became a thing was to essentially say uh, Bush lied, people died in a rap, and, uh, and George W. Bush is a racist. Do you remember those days? Okay. Yep. All right. And then, what was it, like three years ago when Taylor Swift had, had yet become political and she was every, every family's darling and this was she was still in her country phase and my girls just ate up everything. You know, I, I, I knew the worst, like every Taylor Swift song because it was played in my house on loop constantly okay and and she wins was a best new artist or i don't know one of these music awards and he stormed the stage in yes. anger right yes right and conservative america stuck up for uh, what's left of america for taylor swift and that's not classy so why is anybody shocked i mean if you cannot guys i don't know what this i know we talk a lot we're looking for signs we think this is a culture in decline if you needed any other doubt we're in trouble we're on a cliff as a culture the fact that you can't trust a publicity whore rapper with, 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 who's clearly not sane on some level with no self-restraint to stick to a script. I, you know what, guys? I'm out. I mean, there's, just, there's no hope for America. I, I, what do we do? 
I mean, if, if, I mean if, if Kanye West isn't a reliable political ally, what are we doing here, guys? Do you know? Todd, Aaron, go. Circle jerk. Um, that's basically what it is. And what drives this is uh, fairly simple. I mean, it's one of the basic, I think, human impulses, um, which is we just want to be affirmed. And when people with a large platform affirm, the larger the platform or the the, the bigger the bio or the bigger the personality that affirms us or what we believe or what we think or how we are, I think what happens is the, 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 the more weight we put on what those people say about us because we just want to be affirmed. We just want to be liked. That's the main reason, if, if nothing else, besides you know spiritual decline, but as far as symptoms of the spiritual decline goes— it's that in mass, and this is, goes from our politics to our culture to our homes, in mass, we have exchanged finding any notion of truth or sticking by moral principles because of our convictions for just wanting to be liked because it feels good and it makes us feel safe. There is no bravery. And again, it, this, this is connected to everything. But the, the, main, the main point here is that we just want to be liked. And the larger the platform the person has that says nice things or whispers sweet nothings in our ears, the better it feels because then then we can point to, hey, I'm not so bad. Look who likes me. So there's a timeline here. And he gets into the White House, a photo op in the Oval Office last week, right? And this 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 essentially broke Twitter was when he was in the in the oval office last week. Yeah. So he gets he gets he gets maximum publicity out of this. Wasn't this the story that took over for Kavanaugh? Yeah. yeah. I think I he, he gets he gets maximum publicity out of this. And now after because if listen, he's a showman and a showman knows nothing better than when a show has run its course. He gets max he he reaches the the apex, he reaches the summit of this publicity mountain. And this now becomes the point, the law of diminishing returns. You're a loss leader. And a week later, he drops you. And the way this is going to turn out now is he's going to start naming Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens and these, these Turning Point USA people. They're going to be in his lyrics. You remember, what day is it today? It's Halloween, October 31st. Mark the tape. They're going to be in his lyrics of his next album. He's going to trash him by name. Say they totally discredited him. He's going to say, he's going to call whatever today's ter- current uh, term does you, I don't know if Uncle Tom is still a thing. I don't know. I'm 45 and white and I'm, I'm terrible as a human, as I learned from Don Lemon a half hour ago. Okay. So whatever the current term du jour is for turning on your own race, that's what Candace Owens will be in his next rap album. Mark my words. He'll be out campaigning actively. You have a look on your face, Todd, like you don't agree with me. I no I'm, metaphysical certitude. I, you read that wrong. I okay. have. I mean, but t- by the way, you I'm can. In, you're just. No, and there are times I mean, you disagree with me. You're right. On this one, you're going to be wrong. No, I have. He is going to be on the campaign trail for whoever the Democratic candidate is in 2020. I have no problem with that assessment. This is now. He. We now have to. We're in the make amends phase, and 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 instead of just picking the NRA as his as his make good as Harvey Weinstein tried to do last year, he's going to just spray buckshot on the entire 
the entirety of whatever uh, uh, conservative groups, issues, causes, uh, celebrities gave him any uh, any relevancy whatsoever. He is going to defecate all over them uh, with every platform he has, and all of and the same Don Lemon panels that were just insanely, you know, dropping racist yes. rhetoric yeah. last week about him are gonna anoint him with oil, and he's gonna get a platform to do it. Every day of the 2020 campaign, mark my words. Tell me I'm wrong. Anybody? No. no and if I would have sat here two years ago when this whole thing started with him, or a year and a half, whenever it was, if I would have said, guys, this is how it's going to end in 16 months, tell me, who, who would have told me I was going to be wrong then? Uh, I, I, should, I sure wouldn't. So then why did we do this again? It's what Aaron, it's what Aaron said. Uh, I... In my own personal life, outside of politics, but it, it, uh, I apply so much of that uh, to, to, to what I say here. The, the disease of people needing to be like, they see, they'll talk to you privately in the hushed tones that they believe are appropriate for such things that, yeah, we really need to change. When it comes to actually doing it, to, to, to breaking the things that need to be broken in order to fix something, they, uh, they just, there's no... I just, I, I just need to be seen as a, a a nice civil person, and that Aaron nailed it. It is, it is a toxic. It is an idol to put yourself uh, in a, a place to put yourself on a shelf that constantly demands that level of affirmation. It's, it's a disease, and it's progressivism. We'll go inside politics with Daniel Horowitz. We'll get his take on yesterday's announcement by the president on birthright citizenship, where the election stands, the synagogue shooting, and more. Next year, live on The Blaze, on demand at CRTV. Stay tuned. All right, back here live on The Blaze, on demand at CRTV. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. And it is now time to go inside politics with our good friend from Conservative Review, Daniel Horowitz. Good to see you, brother. How are you? I'm exhausted, Steve, but great to be with you. So a couple major topics I want to be able to address with you in the time we have today. But I want to start with what we just left off with and get your take on this. The story that yesterday, Kanye West is now out there blasting Turning Point USA and Candace Owens and saying that they basically took advantage of him and used him and he was never part of their Blexit, uh, you know, which is a takeoff on Brexit and black people leaving the Democratic Party. And of course, I'm sure it's a it's a pure coincidence. This is all look at the smile on your face. This is all going down only a week after he finally got his his photo op there in the Oval Office, right? He, and then when he reached the point of diminishing returns on his publicity horror campaign, he's he's now got to go make amends with his progressive peers. And and I'm I'm telling I guarantee in his next album, Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens are getting called out by name as every racial bomb you can imagine in the next round of lyrics. Mark it down. And and why is anybody shocked that again? We link arms with one of these sudden celebrity conversions and it blows up in our face. Why do we keep doing this, Daniel? Steve, you know, during the 2016 election, a lot of the supporters of groups like Turning Point USA, um, some of the hardcore Trump supporters, and I don't mean the policies, but I mean the personality, they used a term to describe much of the conservative movement that I actually thought was very accurate and it rhymes with luck. And it starts with a C. And um, 
the, the problem was it applied to them as well. And I think that's where we would apply it, that they don't just lose to the other side, but they revel and champion um, the opportunity to lose to the other side. I'll patent and copyright this term, but I call it the reverse patent, where patent always said the object of war is to make the other SOB die for his country. So what we're always good at is dying for the other SOB's cause. Uh, this is a guy who went to the White House to promote jailbreak and weak on crime laws because they're racist and letting out more Democrat voters and allowing felons to vote. And we champion that. And he got Trump to champion that despite him speaking out against it his entire career. And our side, rather than spending that week yelping about what was going on policy-wise, we championed the guy doing it. And now he's like, hey, you lie down with snakes, you get bitten. So it's the reverse patent. We like to be martyrs for the other side's causes. Mm. Um, speaking of some real martyrs, the synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh last week, and um, you have an avowed uh, neo-Nazi uh, committing this act. I, I made a point. Uh, on social media in response to this, that uh, whenever you see anti-Semitism move from the fringes of a society onto its main stage, that history has shown um, whenever this is on the main stage of a culture, this is a culture in either some form of spiritual rebellion and or decline. But I know this is going to obviously hit very close to home to you. So I want to give you the floor, your thoughts on uh, on what the people of Pittsburgh are still suffering from several days later. Sure. So I agree with you, civilizations on decline, but I don't know if I agree with your point that this is indicative of that. And I'll get back to that in a moment. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is pretty personal. My um, my parents lived in Squirrel Hill, that neighborhood right around there in the 70s. My aunt and all my cousins still live there. Um, they attend the Orthodox synagogue about three quarters of a mile away from there. You know, it's funny, just that night I was attending an 80th anniversary of a synagogue established by people fleeing Kristallnacht. My brother is the pastor there, Mm. and um, he was being honored. So, I mean, that was pretty salient. Also, another interesting uh, point, uh, you know, every week we read portions of the five books of Moses as well as portions of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the prophets, and that week, evidently, there was a circumcision that was about to be performed there. They were going to have that ceremony. And that was the portion of Genesis that pertained to both the circ- commandment for circumcision and, as well as that, the sacrifice of Isaac on the altar. And wow, you saw the sacrifices there. So, I mean, this is this is biblical. Um, you know, Steve, I don't like... I don't like victimhood. I just don't. I mean, it's just who I am. Mm -hmm. And I really don't think this reflects America. I think you see an outpouring of love from everyone, putting aside the political people. But I'm saying in terms of the tragedy, for 2,000 years, there has never been a place like America for Jews to prosper. I don't think that has changed. In a country of 325 million it only takes one or two of these guys to wreak havoc. You know this, Steve. You go on the dark web, any aspect of it, left, right, anything in between, eco-terrorism, Islamic stuff, white supremacist stuff, 
you'll find really demonic things. And unless they're Russian bots, they're real people doing them. So there's a number of people like that out there. I don't know that there's any evidence that there are more of these people today than, say, 10 years ago, and that they're more prominent and that they have a bigger political megaphone. I am very satisfied that our society, all sides, fully marginalizes these people culturally, politically, and to the fullest extent of the law within it, the constitutional constraints. I, I don't think there's much we can do about this. You know, we, we live in, we don't live in a utopia. There will be bloodshed and genocide. The wicked will prosper, like it says all throughout Psalms, you know, until the moment God plants his feet on the Mount of Olives, that that's going to happen as hard as it is to swallow. So I, I don't know, Steve, I don't know if I'm seeing this as a general problem, not to change the subject, but the only place where I do see a growing trend is again with immigration, the mass migration from the Middle East, where we have hundreds of people on American soil chanting intifada when the Jerusalem, when the embassy was moved to Jerusalem, that is a growing trend. But among everyone else, I think you've always had these people. Sadly, you always will. Sadly, it only takes one to commit such an atrocity. But I'm thankful for the fact that pretty much everyone in this country, um, you know, understands the the severity of anti-Semitism and, and is fully committed to fighting it. Daniel Horowitz from Conservative Review is taking us inside politics here today, live on The Blaze, on demand at CRTV. So you mentioned immigration. Let's go there next. Uh, I, I thought the president, um, I loved the move that he made yesterday. I full-throated, uh, wholehearted support it. I, I don't understand. Well, I do understand. I mean, there is an element of our movement that worships at the altar of the courts. Even, yeah, and I don't just mean like, you know, the half the editorial board, that soft-headed editorial board at National Review. I'm not even talking about that. I mean, it's like there's like really committed right wingers who like went to Ivy League law schools that will push the courts as to to a point, and then even they eventually will say, uh, "Courts are spoken. Uh, we must bow down. Nothing we can do. It sucks. Wish we could, but we can't." So here we have no statute. We have no Supreme Court. I'll even grant judicial supremacy's premise, even though I don't agree with it. I'll even grant it. We have no Supreme Court opinion saying that the 14th Amendment applies to literally any organism born in the United States under any circumstance. The phrase subject to the jurisdiction thereof doesn't mean subject to the jurisdiction thereof. We don't even have a Supreme Court opinion that says that, that progressivizes the 14th Amendment. There is no statute, nothing. I would make the argument that the president didn't do some lawless, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, pen in a phone move yesterday. He essentially directed the executive branch to uphold the original intent of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which is what he swore an oath to do. I would make an argument he was actually breaking the law every day until yesterday. <laughs> yesterday was the day he upheld the law. OK, so what are your thoughts on this, Daniel? So, first of all, I mean, he didn't uphold anything. Obviously, he signaled with his typical trial balloon he might do this <clears throat> to be fair trump was responding to laura ingram's question so i don't get the sense from what i'm hearing if this is imminent he's spawning debate uh steve you nailed it on the head um facts and details matter you see it's a lot easier to virtue signal and race pander than to actually study the facts steve i am sick to my stomach and my eyes are killing me from two days worth of research. I had my 2000 word essay yesterday. I have another one about to come out. I wrote a book on this topic. I did a podcast on the topic. Um, I have numerous articles on it. 
I've studied every single case law on not just birthright, citizenship, things related to it, but all of immigration, as well as the cases written by that very justice who wrote Wong Kim Ark that they're drawing off of mm -hmm. in 1898, um, throughout the 1890s and the next uh, decade. None of these people have done that. See, Trump doing executive stuff, lots of executive stuffs happening. Well, I mean, the details matter. W what is he doing? Most of what Trump, and, and, and by the way, I mean, your audience doesn't need to understand that I mean, you and me and, and your team, uh, we're, we're not exactly shy about criticizing Trump and taking a hatchet to him. So, you know, that, that's, that's obvious. But when it comes to executive power, almost everything Trump has been doing is merely countermanding things Obama has mm -hmm. done. This case is a little bit more nuanced, so we could get to that. But when it comes to immigration broadly, people need to understand, are immigration laws pertaining to illegal immigration, pertaining to sovereignty, are not broken? Are legal immigration laws with chain migration, heart seller, that's the thing that's broken. Our brains as a civilization are broken. <laughs> Nobody from 1789, from 1867, from 1898, from 1952, all these bench earmarks, could have ever envisioned a society that would say that people could come in, kick in our door, and drop a baby, demand citizenship, demand education, demand standing in court, and there's not a darn thing we could do even prospectively to stop it. Here's how it happened. This happened by accident, through lax enforcement of the of the executive branch, stolen sovereignty. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever did this. I'm going to have an article out. Again, let's agree to judicial supremacy and let's agree that Wong Kim Ark establishing a floor, a mandatory floor of birthright for all legal immigrant parents is in the 14th Amendment. It's not. Ulysses S. Grant's attorney general said so. Two prior court cases said so, including Justice Gray himself who inexplicably overturned himself. Um, the Declaration of Independence says not like that. The entire floor debate of um, the 14th Amendment says not like that. And the understanding of allegiance and jurisdiction and protection at that time clearly indicates not. In other words, that Congress would be allowed to regulate maybe not all legal immigrants. You have to be working towards citizenship. That's up to Congress's interpretation. Justice Gray took that away. Okay, but fine. Now, you, you know how it goes that it's not just judicial supremacy. It's any one cherry-picked case yes. multiplied by a thousand. Like Plyler v. Doe or something like that, yes. Y yeah. yeah, no. The footnote of dicta non-binding in Plyler, yeah. which itself is as right. bad as Roe, and we should never legitimize. We should read Rehnquist's dissent, but evidently we were all for that now. So anyway, Justice Gray wrote explicitly, we don't need to guess, that it's people who have permission to be here. He said legally domiciled. He used the word domiciled 12 times. Six years prior in Nishimura Aiku of the United States, Justice Gray told us what is not domiciled. Anyone who is here without the consent of the people, I'm paraphrasing, is as if they are not on our soil in its most literal and physical sense. They are not subject to our jurisdiction. 
and they are not domiciled. He, he used all those words, not in that word pattern, but all those words. That became the basis of the pattern of uninterrupted case law that Justice Robert Jackson and, Fra and Felix Frankfurter said six to eight decades later is the most inviolable case law we have of what's called the plenary power doctrine, that the political branches alone control sovereignty and that there's no jurisdiction for the judiciary to get involved, that they control who comes in here, that it's as if they are not here if they manage to get on our soil, even temporarily if we grant them, certainly if they just sneak in. So I submit that I support birthright citizenship, that if you are born here, you're a citizen. What I don't support is the illegal aliens stealing that birthright from us because they are not here. Mm -hmm. So to close the loop, what happened was we never really had mass hordes of illegal immigrants. And if we did, no one would have granted them citizenship. In the 60s, 70s, and 80s, as this became more common, hospitals never asked questions because generally 99.9% .9 of people born here um, are citizens. So they just give them the birth certificate application. HHS and SSA never enforced it and never verified it. How do I know this is true, that there was no deliberate determination that it happened passively by accident? Because children of diplomats, whom everyone, everyone agrees, all sides, that they're excluded. Sure. Right, because they're not subject to even our laws um, and they have diplomatic immunity. There's a lot of evidence that a lot of them have birth certificates. And unless they give it back, they, they don't bother giving it back. They, they, they have it. So that is clear. It was lawless oversight of the most solemn job of the executive branch to preserve our sovereignty and the rule of law. It wasn't until the early 90s when this became such a problem, several hundred thousand a year, that Harry Reid, as well as, as some Republicans, introduced legislation to deal with this. It was at that point that the pseudo-legal intelligentsia retroactively concocted anchor baby jurisprudence and all the thumb suckers are like, yeah, the 14th Amendment. That is the history you won't hear from the mindless cable news shows. Hmm. All right, we got about four minutes left here before we can let you go. This is the last time we're going to talk to you before the people vote on Tuesday. Uh, in election 2018, give us your forecast. What do you see happening here these last five days and leading into Tuesday? So assuming nothing happens, the question I think we all need to ask here, I'm curious what Todd and Aaron <laughs> think, is, uh, well, the one who acts dumb as last loses. So assuming nothing more happens, who acted dumb as last? Now, I would say it's the left. You would, you would believe you got to believe that the people would now be more appalled by the reaction to Trump than Trump. And you would expect that you would see that in the election results within the understanding that the entire electorate is always skewed against the incumbent party in a midterm. That's on the one hand. But on the other hand, if you look at the polling, although Republicans have done better post Kavanaugh, from what I can see, it appears that the polls have stalled out you know, the momentum, mm -hmm. um, you're still seeing Democrats amazingly close in places like the Oklahoma's gover go governor's race. They're not going to win it, 
But, you know, you're, you're seeing all the races that Republicans need to start turning the corner. They're not. I'm left with a question of, are the polls wrong? And I don't mean that in a conspiratorial way. I mean that in the sense that their models are really assuming a record unprecedented millennial turnout, for example. Mm-hmm. Is that really going to happen? If it does, then Republicans clearly lose the House. They lose seven governorships, at least, and um, they win two to three Senate seats. If the polls, if there's a few, po- if the polls are a few points off, because the polls aren't reflecting the energy on the other side, and they're overrepresenting the turnout of the Democrat side, then I think it's very feasible they narrowly keep the House cut down on their losses in the governorships and win three to four Senate seats. That's the best I can do for you, Steve. (laughs) Let's look at, you know, I come from the sports world and there's no argument scoreboard doesn't win, right? Why don't we just look at the actual results we've had? Why not just look at the special elections, which have shown two trends, overwhelming energy advantage on the left, but they have struggled to get road wins except for Alabama, which Republicans helped them get in that state. Right? So, Maybe that's 30 seconds. Maybe that's what we'll see on Tuesday is exactly what we saw in the special elections. Well, you're definitely going to see that in the Senate race, they're home games. Mm-hmm. So yeah, anyway, Republicans right. are going to win. Right. It's a question of is it netting two, is it netting four? Um, Quickly. With the House, I, I, I would say you're wrong in one respect. Republicans finally wake up when it comes to November. All right, we're out of time. Daniel, we'll see you next week. Hour two is next. We're back with Hour 2 here live on The Blaze On Demand at CRTV. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. We love to know what you think about what we think. 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. You can also take advantage of the SteveDace.com inbox. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up a little bit later on in this hour, we'll play our weekly game of buy, sell, or hold. But of course, the election is on Tuesday. And one of the more under the radar, yet I think intriguing races, is in the state of Mississippi, where you've you've had sort of this, this open fracture now. Uh, between the conservative base and the Republican Party writ large has kind of broken open uh, in that state. And uh, one guy's candidacy is, has uh, kind of been the catalyst for I- exposing this rift, and he joins us now. Uh, Chris McDaniel is a Republican candidate for U.S. Senate in Mississippi, you might recall. Uh, he was the one that uh, had Thad Cochran on the ropes uh, back in 2014, which caused... The Republican machine to essentially just deal the race card from the bottom of the deck and and do the sorts of things to conservatives like they did my buddy Joe Miller in Alaska. Do the sorts of things to conservatives you almost never see them do uh, against the Democrats. And uh, Chris, it's a pleasure to have you with us today on the Steve Day Show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. So, Chris, you're back at it again running. Now, you have two open Senate seats right now. Uh, Well, actually, one. Uh, Roger Wicker's seat, uh, and then you, he's running for reelect. You were going to primary him, if I recall, originally. 
And and his Liberty score at Conservative Review is terrible. Uh, he's a total rhino. There's no other way to describe it. He's an he's an F. Um, and you, when Thad Cochran could not run for re-election, that seat came open. You decided to, for lack of a better description, and if I'm getting this wrong, correct me. For lack of a better description, you basically decided to kind of try and be a team player here. Rather than cause an open civil war for an existing GOP seat, you decided to move over to the open seat. Do I have that correct? One of the greatest criticisms they levied against me after 2014 is that I was divisive, that I tried to tear the party to pieces. My thought was, let's give them a chance to put their money, uh, their mouth, money where their mouth is, in other words. So I switched races with a chance to allow the party to coalesce around the conservative in the race. But instead of coalescing around the conservative, they then appointed a lifelong Democrat who voted for Hillary Clinton to that seat because she's so easily controlled. So we find ourselves in a very unique situation, and here it is. I am trying to fulfill the remainder of Senator Cochran's term. There are only two years left, and we're fighting against the establishment's hand-selected appointment. That's the fight in Mississippi. When you made the switch over, a, uh, a mutual friend of ours asked me about your race and, and um, whether or not he should counsel you to make this switch. And what I told him is, if I, if I were in your shoes... There is no way I would make this switch unless I went to the White House and told them I am not going to be a team player unless I get a preemptive endorsement from the president because I am not going to risk that eventually uh, McConnell's buddies will make a call to the White House and say, this guy is too conservative and we can't work with him in Washington. And so we need our Luther Strange in the race. If you get the analogy I'm drawing here, we need our Luther Strange in the race instead. All right. And so my advice to a mutual friend of ours was, that you should go to the White House and say, I will gladly be a team player. Here is what I want in return. I want the president's uh, approval of an endorsement of my candidacy because he's going to win my state. He won it the last time with about 70% of the vote. He's going to win it with that probably, if not more, again. And I don't want him getting bad advice from Javaka and coming in at the last second with another Luther Strange that splits our base wide open and then we have a disaster. So that's kind of where your race is at right now, isn't it, in a way? In some respects, it is. Uh, Naturally, Mitch McConnell is very involved. Mitch McConnell has hand-selected his appointment here, and he's playing hardball in Mississippi. He and the Chamber of Commerce are playing hardball in Mississippi. And it's the craziest thing because she's a former federal lobbyist. She's a lifetime Democrat, a former uh, Democrat office holder, and she voted for Hillary Clinton. And yet she was still the person they selected because they can control her. And I want to be clear, and I think you all know this, I don't have any intention of being controlled by the likes of Mitch McConnell. My allegiance is to my principles, to the uh, conservative principles that make this party great. We call it the salt and the light, the conscience of the Republican Party. We're going to fight for those things. And I, uh, frankly, I don't believe that many in the Republican Party have that uh, courage like they once did years ago. We're trying to reinstill that courage. And, that, and to me, that's what this race is about. So I know this is going to seem like self-promotion, but I don't mean it to. So, But it, it's go, it goes to the case you're trying to make to the electorate. So I've got another book coming out January 15th. It's called Truth Bombs. And at the time I wrote it, I wasn't sure my contract was going to get renewed and I might go away and have to do something else for a living. So I decided while I still had a platform, I was going to say everything I ever wanted to say. And, and so I could walk away with my head held high that I fired every bullet at the system I had, okay? In the introduction to my, to my forthcoming book, I have the Liberty scores at Conservative Review 
for a group of Republican senators from the most conservative states in the country. All right. So I'm not looking at Susan Collins, right? I'm not, I'm not looking at the rare Republican that gets elected in Massachusetts. I'm looking at the reddest of the red states. At the time I finished this manuscript, here were their liberty scores. Lamar Alexander, Tennessee, 12% F. Thad Cochran, Mississippi, 24% F. Orrin Hatch, Utah, 27% F. John Hoven, North Dakota, 28% F. Roger Wicker, your home state of Mississippi, 30% F. Johnny Isaacson, Georgia, 31% F. Shelley Capito, West Virginia, where Trump won every, not every county, every freaking precinct, every precinct of the state. 32% 32% F. Lindsey Graham, South Carolina, 33% F. John Cornyn, Texas, 35% F. Mitch McConnell, Kentucky, 38% F. Roy Blunt, Missouri, 41% F. Bill Cassidy, Louisiana, 44% F. Bob Corker, Tennessee, 49% F. Now, these are states, these are states where we'd probably have to, where Trump could have live sex with Stormy Daniels on stage. And he would not lose, Chris, would not lose. And no Republican presidential candidate can possibly lose these states. They're the reddest of the red, and they all have F senators. And then I did this. I went and looked at the purple states, the swing states, and the Democrat liberty scores to think, well, I wonder if the Democrats in those states, knowing they got to kind of straddle the fence, if they might be more moderate, right? Here are the liberal, here are the liberal, the, the Democratic liberty scores in the most swingy states in the country. Sherrod Brown, Ohio, 10% F. Michael Bennett, Colorado. 10% F. Tammy Baldwin, Wisconsin, 9% F. Gary Peters, Michigan, 8% F. Debbie Stabenow, Michigan, 8% F. Mark Warner, Virginia, 4% F. Bill Nelson, Florida, Mr. Moderate, uh, former military guy, 2% F. Tim Kaine, Virginia, Catholic, pro-life Democrat, 2% F. <laughs> Catherine Cortez Mosto, Nevada, 0% is her liberty score. So, Chris, explain why. The reddest state Republican senators uh, suck, and yet the blue, the the purple state Democrats are perfect Democrat voting records. How does that work? It's embarrassing. It means the lobbyists and the good old boys and the establishment they controlled some of these red states, and that's what has to change. You think about this for a second. Mississippi is the most conservative state in the republic, and we have U.S. senators that barely speak up, that barely lead the charge. I've never seen it. It's embarrassing. We should be leading every charge in Washington. Here's the thing. The whole country needs conservatives. You're not going to find them in New York. You're not going to find them in Massachusetts or in California. You can find them in places like Mississippi. And if Mississippi can't fight for you, nobody can. It's embarrassing and it has to change right now. I have some friends and contacts in Congress, as I'm sure you do. I remember last January, February, when the fake Obamacare repeal was taking place. And, I, and some people I know in the Freedom Caucus were getting calls from their constituents saying, why aren't you helping the president repeal Obamacare? And they're like, the Paul Ryan bill doesn't repeal Obamacare. We're trying to get the president on a bill that repeals Obamacare. That set the tone for, for really two years of this kind of confusion with our base. And so like yesterday, uh, the president does something that when he does, these are the kinds of things where, where, to me, I'll take on the baggage of his personal character when he wants to advance my agenda. So yesterday he says, I'm going to take on birthright citizenship. I got his back, right? Paul Ryan says five minutes later, uh, we're not going to support that. Now, I bring that up in the context of your conversation because you are trying to, you're trying to navigate these waters in real time as a candidate. Where, because the president came in and said this, that Cindy Ide Smith is a conservative choice in Mississippi— 
you're trying to talk to people that with the president's seal of approval and explain to them that's not what they're getting here. How are you navigating this? Uh, a couple of ways. You might remember a guy named Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney hated President Trump, and yet President Trump endorsed Mitt Romney for U.S. Senate. John McCain hated President Trump, but he endorsed John McCain for U.S. Senate. In fact, even though Paul Ryan has fought against Trump the entire time, he endorsed him for U.S. House. We recognize that Trump's playing some of these games because Mitch McConnell is pressuring him to play those games. 51 votes in the Senate. He has to have those to get anything passed. And Mitch McConnell's playing hardball. Here's the idea. Send enough conservatives up there where we never have to cut another bad deal with the likes of Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell is the problem. He's the obstructionist. He's the guy that has been up there more than 30 years doing the same old thing, catering to big money, big lobbyists, and it has to change. So look, bottom line here is people have to trust their own instincts. They know who the conservative is in this race, and I'm that conservative. Where's your race at right now? We're going to win this. We're going to win it. There's no question in my mind about it. We have 5,000 volunteers knocking doors and making phone calls, and no one in the state has that type of army working for him. We're very blessed. We're energized. We're enthusiastic. And right now, the race is trending our direction. We anticipate a victory on the 6th. Uh, we're going to a runoff at that stage, and we anticipate three weeks later to be elected to the U.S. Senate. What is, what is her campaign doing right now? Simple stuff. They've raised millions of dollars from lobbyists. Her biggest donor is a guy named Sean Parker. You may recall that name. He mm -hmm. was Hillary Clinton's biggest donor. Sean mm -hmm. Parker gave Hillary Clinton $300,000. He gave Cindy Hyde-Smith $250,000. He's a big Democrat donor. Uh, my biggest donor is Robert Mercer. You may know that name. Mm -hmm. He's big, Donald Trump's biggest donor. He's my biggest donor. What she's doing is she's going on TV and she's hiding. She won't debate. She won't discuss the issues because she's not able to discuss the issues. Once the people of this state figure out that she's a lifetime Democrat who voted for Hillary Clinton, her base leaves her in droves. So they're hiding her. They have a cocoon around her. U.S. Chamber of Commerce is pushing for her. All the big lobbyists are pushing for her. But it's Washington, D.C. money. Once that exposed, once they see her as the establishment pick, they leave her. Her base isn't solid. It's not stable. That's why we're going to be successful. We're spreading the word right now. So, Chris, um, a moment of transparency with you, if you don't mind. Um, sure. I have ignored or turned down numerous requests this campaign season from candidates to come on here. I've made a, one exception for a good friend of mine, Chip Roy, who's running for Congress in Texas. Okay. Right. Um, and, and it's mainly because I love him and I don't want him to bully me on, on, on our group text. So I'm, I'm let, I'm, I, I gave him some airtime. But, 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 but after I spent years on the air, of doing as many of these to promote guys like you. Yeah. Um, I, I helped get a bunch of people elected that then just went there and, and with rare exception, ultimately just assimilated into the system. And right. I realized that I, for the most part, I'm kind of going to get, regardless of whether the Roger Wickers of the world wins or fill in the blank, as long as the McConnells of the world are in control, I'm kind of going to get the same thing no matter what. Right. I, I made an exception to have you on, aside from some people that you and I both know pestered me to do it. But the other, <laughs> the other reason is, because I'm not an easy person to pester, um, right. but the other reason I did it is I, I am fascinated by your race because I think it is, it, it is really the cross-section example of where we are at as a conservative movement, where on one hand we have a president who we all recognize is not some dyed-in-the-wool conservative. 
but has actually done some things for us that we haven't been able to get conventional Republicans to do for us for 20 years. So we don't want to we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. On the other hand, he doesn't really understand the conservative grassroots or internal party politics. And and when Javanka tells him that uh, Mo Brooks said bad things about him in the 2016 presidential election, he doesn't even know who Roy Moore is and endorses uh, Luther Strange the next day. I mean, you're dealing with that kind of personality. You have to f- confront that in Mississippi right now where you need to point out that the president made a poor choice but when he does but you don't want to so go after him that when he does the stuff you agree with you've damaged him at the exact same time and you're at war with your own base trying to navigate which this is my job every day and i'm losing my hair i'm on a five head right now chris trying to navigate this so i'm fascinated how you are navigating this as a candidate right now how are you doing it well here's the thing my uh, allegiance is to my principle it always has been i'm a conservative in the Taft, Goldwater, Reagan mold. I'm a child of the Reagan revolution. And I do appreciate what Trump has done. He's been fighting at the very least, which is something we haven't had in an awfully long time. We are starved for courage. We're starved for fighters. And he's given us that. So I'm very proud to see who I'm fighting. But with all that said, ultimately, I see Mitch McConnell as the bigger part of the problem. I see the machine inside Washington as the bigger part of the problem. The lobbyists, the cronies, the good old boys, they've kept my state down forever, and it's time for them to find new jobs in the private sector. They don't like me very much. You know that. I don't like them very much. I want to be very, very clear. And the great part about it is because they've spent so much money attacking me over the years, $10 million in 14, already $5 million this year on negative ads, I don't owe them anything. My job here is to end the establishment as I understand it and to fight for conservatives everywhere I can. If I can do that, I'm happy to fight for sure. So how can our audience around the country follow your race, get involved if they want to do that, Chris? Uh, I would love to have your help. McDaniel2018.com is the website. It's McDaniel2018.com. Also, strong Facebook presence, Senator Chris McDaniel. I'm a state senator. Senator Chris McDaniel on Facebook. Come join us. We would love to have your help in Mississippi. Call your friends. Talk to them. Let them know I'm the conservative in the race, and we're going to win this thing. And I promise you I'll fight for you. All right. Hey, Chris, thanks for joining us. Good luck to you on Tuesday. All right. God bless, man. Thank you, sir. I appreciate y'all. Take care. All right. So, uh, gentlemen, you just heard the conversation we had with Chris. And I'm, I'm not confident that a lot of the people, even how well they can articulate conservatism, will not be assimilated into the system at some point. So that's why, you know, we have not had a parade of conservative candidates this primary, this primary and election cycle, as we have done routinely in the past. I do think with Chris... The way they have tried to screw him repeatedly, what, what, what Haley Barber and uh, the Republican machine did to him with the race baiting in 2014, and yeah. I, I covered that every night on Salem Radio Network and wrote several columns about it uh, for Town Hall and wa- the Washington Times at the time. What they did here by bringing in their uh, ringer candidate, Rhino, at the end to try and stop him uh, from winning this race as well. I do think that's the kind of guy where when they make it personal— they're less inclined to assimilate or at least hold the door at assimilating to the Borg longer than your average conservative. What do you guys think? I pray you're right. Uh, but this is where, 
it's like with uh, I'm increasingly uh, in in sports and who I follow. I you know I I really I, I don't go all in. I mean I still got my teams, but I, I'm fascinated in personal stories. I I want real people uh, I can root for. You know, Steve, to quote you, I gots to know. You know I, <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. And so that might be true, but listen, I, this is harder for you. You've you've talked about it on air. Um, it's just easier for me to say, perhaps, because I don't know the man and I understand. But the, Ted Cruz, uh, we thought he was definitely that guy, and he's still a guy after everything Donald Trump said about him is, you know— asking him on stage. You know, I, I've got a problem with, with that. And I don't think Ted Cruz is a coward. I don't think Ted Cruz is a bad guy. Nonetheless, he has acquiesced in that way. So I, it, to me, I'm, I think I'm making your point though. It clearly takes something not of this world, something from Krypton for them to go to Washington, D.C., even after they've been ripped on and not become part of that system. The The reasons are probably many, but it happens over and over and over again. So I think it is very interesting why you had him on here to say, is, are you the guy connect that actually can get the camel through the, the eye of the needle? I'm glad you, you made the reference to Ted because when we talk about assimilation and I, I, I use that term on purpose because selling out is a voluntary gesture. Assimilation is a, is is can be involuntary or a recognition of the futility of holding out. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? saying? I, do. I do. And so you know, let's look at Ted's situation. You're saying you get assimilated before you really even understand you've been assimilated. You're just in the Borg all of a sudden. I I say this as as a guy who loves the man. The reason I never I I have the the Trump rally thing. I have, the, I have that reaction. I'd be in the same spot if I knew the guy and you didn't. I totally get it. But I, I totally. also completely understand why he did it. He's in a position where... But you'd never do it, Steve. Um, you would it's, never... It's, no, I would not, no, which is wouldn't. also probably why I couldn't get elected anywhere. For, these, for, the, for, for, for what I'm about to say. At some point, the, let's go back. Let's go to step one. I think our audience needs to understand what the goal of the system is. Treason never prospers. What's the reason? Because whenever treason prospers, none will dare call it treason. The number one goal of the system is to prove to you there can be no heroes. That, that no one can be your, there, there are no Katniss Everdeens. There's no Neos. That everyone eventually succumbs. And so you should do that now. You should, rather than standing up to the system, cut your deal now. And um, nihilism is the system's goal. Hopelessness is the system's goal. There, there can be no outliers. And what it will seek to do when you elect a Ted Cruz or a Chris McDaniel or pick somebody else, from the day they get there, you know, when they talk about driving a car off the lot, it depreciates in value from the moment you buy a new car, right? From the day those guys get there, and I can say this having, you know, I've, I've never met Chris. I've interviewed him countless times. I know Ted really well. And there, I, I can't begin to tell you unless you, and I've been on the inside of the war room with him. Okay. I mean, I, I've been in. You the were con- the inside. Yeah. Of the I mean, war I've been in the conversations. We're figuring out how do we navigate all these. The goal of the system is Kobayashi Maru's every day. 
No-win scenarios. Cut your deal. That's the goal of the system all the time. It provides, and, and it, it provides, this is why when, you know, when we had a, we had a when, when Rules for Patriots came out, I had a dinner with Jason Johnson, Chip Roy, I just mentioned, and, and, John, and John Drogan, uh, three of uh, Ted Cruz's inner circle at the time. And we had a dinner at an Irish pub in Washington, D.C., and I did this with lots of candidates and their staffs or people who are thinking of running in Iowa. What's, what's the environment going to be like in 2016? And I had only met Ted in passing. I did not know him at all yet. And it was really the first time I met these guys. And, you know, two of them are good friends of mine now. And the reason John's just not as he's just been in different circles. But Jason and Chip and I talk on a regular basis. And I said to them, they were skeptical of Ted running because he had just gotten elected to the Senate thing. You know, the whole, um, you know, battle over, um, uh, you know, the filibuster on Obamacare. I don't, it either had just happened or wasn't about to, was about to happen. I told them he, if he's thinking about running, he should do it now. And we and the in the in the argument I gave him in that Irish pub there in D.C. was your buddy, your boy, Rick Santorum. And I said, Rick Santorum, I just went through an Iowa caucus where the guy who had the most consistently conservative record, while actually in office, took until everybody else flamed out to gain any traction at all. And the reason why is because every time I had Rick Santorum on, it, 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 the first email call etc. was, this is Rick Santorum who endorsed Arlen Specter. That in the, in the late 1990s, Rick Santorum was Ted Cruz. He was the new hotness. Every conservative group wanted Rick Santorum as their headline speaker. He, was, he drew a crowd everywhere he went. Our base loved the guy. And then he got elected long enough and then he got into leadership. And John McCain went from yelling at, uh, yelling at Rick Santorum in the cloakroom, the way they used to yell in, at Ted Cruz, to how do we cut our deal here, Rick? What, what, you know, what can you do to bring, your, to bring the conservatives on board? And Rick now thinks that's his job. Let's bring the conservatives on board. So you know what? I'll vote for Medicare Part D, the largest welfare state program of all time in exchange for health savings accounts, which most Americans can't afford. I'll vote for Arlen Specter in exchange for John Roberts, who has been really, a, a, I wouldn't say a disaster because a, a, whoever the Democrats would have appointed that job would have been a disaster. But can we say he's been a disappointment? I think that's safe, right? Compared that's still to, understating, what, but yeah, yes. Okay, Roberts has been a disappointment. And, and the minute Rick Santorum took that leadership position, the clock was ticking. Be, not because Rick Santorum's a bad person. I like Rick Santorum a lot as a human being. Rick Santorum is rare of what you'll find in this business. He's actually a dude. Like, he's not a caricature. Like, you could actually go to his house and, like, watch a game and hang out with a guy named Rick. I like Rick. He is in an impossible situation. It's, it, he couldn't have, he can't win. It, it goes, it, it's against you to win. It's devised to create losers from the day they arrive. So from the day Ted Cruz arrived try, to be a trailblazer, the system has had him number one on its hit list. What can we do to assimilate him? And if they can't get you to sell out your principles, which is never going to happen with Ted, then what they will do is put you in impossible political situations. This is where Chris McDaniel finds himself right now, which is why I suggested to somebody who knows Chris, head this off at the pass preemptively. Do not agree to leave the Roger Wicker primary unless Trump endorses you up, up front because the, the only way to win the game is not to play. And so this entire campaign now, Chris McDaniel has been trying to have an argument with his base Yes, I like Trump's policies, but he endorsed the wrong guy. And his base is like, well, if 
if Trump is doing a good job, why wouldn't we go with the person he endorsed? That's a real hard needle to thread, guys. A real hard argument to make, and God bless Chris McDaniel for trying it. And Ted Cruz faced this argument all the, everywhere he went. If I endorse Trump, then I'm a sellout. If I don't endorse Trump, I'm helping the Democrats win. It's impossible. No one can navigate this. No one. And if you're upset at Ted, I don't blame you. And if you're devoted to Ted, I don't blame you. Ted makes his own decisions. He's a grown-ass man, and he faces the consequences for them. I'm simply showing you as someone that has been on the inside of this what it does to men like Chris, to like Ted, what it did to Rick. It, it, it wants, if it can't co-opt your heroes, then it will put them in politically in, in enviable situations where they can't win, where the only outcome is, is some form of a loss. Choose the loss you want. And it does this so that we will all eventually, like a herd, tribalistically say, see, nothing we can do. Team R, Team D is the most we can aspire to. We really can't confront our true issues or problems as a country. So go Team D, go Team R, and then the swamp just control all deletes and repeats itself. That's the goal. And it's impossible. I don't, I don't, know, I, I, I don't know how you would navigate it. I don't believe there is a way, guys. I don't, I don't believe there, there, that's why we talk revival. That's why I'm, I'm, I'm all for when we get guys like Cruz elected, have them go for the brass ring right away before, the, before they're put in the no-win situation. I mean, I've got emails from people. It doesn't matter now what Ted Cruz's liberty score is. They're just pissed off that he, they shared a stage with Trump who called his wife ugly, so he's a sellout now. How do you navigate that? How, and then I have, then I have, then I had people telling me, well, if Ted doesn't endorse Trump, I don't care how conservative he is and how much he fights for us on the issues. He helped Hillary win and he sold us out. How do you win that argument? Do you know, I'll, let me tell you how you win. You can't, you cannot. And it is what the system sets up to do to men like this. If it cannot co-opt you, it corners you. And it puts you in a place where a win is not. What was the sign we had yesterday? Not, Not a, a S impossible. impossible. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is impossible. This is impossible. There's no way. You're, you're right. I would not do those things, which is exactly why I wouldn't win. I wouldn't win. Because people tell you they want a straight shooter. No, they don't. They don't. There are some of us who do, but most of us don't. Most of us want to believe Kanye West is going to help Trump win the black vote, which was never true. That's what most of us want. Most of us want to believe we're getting rid of the poor through the welfare state, and we're not. Most of us want to believe the lies we prefer. That's what most of us want, Todd. So for conservatives then, isn't the best way to run to go full Bullworth like Donald Trump did? I mean, is it if you want to if you don't mind losing, and if if you th- if you think you're going to lose anyways, but you you think it's vital to tear down the system as soon as possible to build it back up again to pass it on to our children, don't you just go full Bullworth? I would. To me, I would use the race. I would use. Would you you, you would do what you did uh, for those those uh, those kids back in the day when you were still on local radio after they toured the state house, you know, mm-hmm. and then you uh, said, did you you know did they talk to you about all the all the deals that they're cutting with the yes. lobbyists down at the yeah. uh, steakhouse? Oh, you know what? We're gonna do buy seller hold, but let me tell that story because that goes right, right to this conversation and and why we are set up to lose. 
We'll talk about that here when we come back. Live on the Blaze, on demand at CRTV. Buy, sell, or hold. One of everybody's favorite uh, you know, segments every week is coming next. I promise. Stay tuned. All right, so I, we are going to play buy, sell, or hold, but Aaron made a classic mistake. He asked a guy to talk about himself. <laughs> so the the story that you referenced, is in, this is something that our audience needs to know because it speaks to how totally ill-equipped we are for the system we are called to co- to confront and serve. Uh, early in my uh, radio activism, full-time activism career, I was invited uh, to speak at, at a national organization that was having its annual event in Iowa uh, called Teen Pact. And it's, is it just for homeschoolers, Aaron? Do you even know if it's just for homeschoolers or is it like oh, Christian man. educated kids? I think it's kids? Christian educated period. Okay. kids, yeah. But the point is you take Christian educated high schoolers that are showing in a you know a proclivity or interest in a potential career in politics and you begin to mentor and disciple them on the the you know the vocational aspects of politics because it is a job it there's a vocational craftsmanship aspect to it and as the local celebrity which of course I've told you there is no such thing but as the local celebrity guy activist on the air on the biggest statewide platform I was invited to come and speak so I go down to the state capitol um, to speak to these kids. And I walked in, man, and these kids, there's probably 50 of them. And are, are they getting younger or are we getting older? I don't remember looking that young at 16, but they didn't just look young. Like they looked like grist to the mill, man. Like they were not ready. These are the sheep we're sending to the wolves. Yeah, yeah, they were not ready yet, you know? And, and, I, and I, was, I was the keynote. So all the, the, the other speakers spoke before me. And it was, and what most of them said was fine, but it wasn't real. Meaning that it that it was inspirational. And that's great, but this isn't that the system is not. You're not Daniel Webster, and you just show up with the golden tongue from on high, and then all of the hacks and charlatans are like, hot oh, damn. You know, I was going to totally sell out to all these lobbyists, but I'm so inspired now. We're not going to do it. No, no, that's not how this works. This and is see, Babylon. Yes. And see, what's happened is by this point in my career, I had seen a lot of these kids when they're 25, 30, 35. And then always what ends up happening, well, not always, but typically, sadly, what ends up happening is they can't take, no one told them what the system was really like. And so they either burned out and left, or uh, they're they're banging they're hit they're banging the intern pool and burning lung darts to self medicate because they're stressed out to the max. They they're they they they're not equipped for what they're about to face. And I went in there and said, you know what, man? God gave these young people the power of procreation. These kids are of the age that they could go outside and in a matter of minutes create a human being. Is there a more adult responsibility than procreation? Can you think of one? I can't think of one. So if the almighty creator biologically gave these young people the power of adulthood, I'm going to treat them like, guess what? I'm going to talk to them like what? What do you think I'm going to talk to them like? 
Adults. Adults. I'm a tuna Michael Adults. So I get up there, and I mean, I was packing well over 360 LBs at this point, too. So I'm this hulking, you know, <laughs> round presence <laughs> for these poor homeschooled kids. And I get up there, and I'm like, uh, so, you know, you guys uh, uh, had the day at the state house, and you went to watch legislation being debated, and you met the governor, and... You know, you guys, and they're nodding their heads. I'm like, so you guys think you have a real good handle on how how things are done here? Yeah. Yeah, and they're all like, yeah. Yeah, it was really a cool day, you know? And I'm like, so I'm like, hey, at lunch, do they take you down to the big steakhouse at 801 Grand and let you watch lobbyists buy the uh, legislators $800 a plate steak and martini lunches? Did they let you see that? Love this show. <laughs> Love it. Dude, holy cow, man. I have... In my life, in my, I, I have alienated some people, okay? But in my career, I've never been in a room where I caused a greater temperature drop than at the Hughes office building at the state capitol complex in Des Moines, Iowa. It, looked, it was like the haunting of Hill House, man. There was a paranormal event happening. Suddenly, I'm seeing my breath. It's 27 degrees in this room. Stevie's in the red room. <laughs> red rom, red rom. <laughs> yes. Well, I was in, I'm live from room 227 or whatever that yeah. was at the Overlook. I mean, it was just, it. And these kids looked at me like probably the same look they had when they were 12 and their mommies <laughs> and daddies told them where babies came from, right? No one, I, I looked out, no one in the gallery blinked for three minutes. And I just proceeded, that was my entree, and I just proceeded to tell him what's up from there. The head of the national organization sent me a note afterwards saying, I'll never be invited back to speak again. That, that's, Make all the right enemies, man. Yeah, and, and, I mean, and, and I'm like, dude, you, you want to, it is inhumane to, to recruit. This is a form of military recruitment if you look at this as a culture war. You're recruiting people to serve on the front lines of a war that you're not, you're not um, equipping them to fight, let alone win. They have no idea what they're in store for. None. And they will be lambs led to slaughter is what they will be. Sheep without a shepherd. They will be scattered. Um, you know, they are the, the, they're the hens in the house and the foxes are in. Um, we need sheep dogs. They need to be taught to be sheep dogs. Not wool, not not sheep to be devoured by wolves, and that's the fallacy we fall into. We can't seem to figure out how are we sheep dogs, or how do we then become the wolves that turn on our own people because we get assimilated into the system. And I don't know that there's a perfect path. It's hard. Um, I don't have the stomach for going after people like I did when I was younger. Some of it is as I get older and raise kids, I, it, I have, it forces me to be more self-aware of my own sinfulness and therefore to be more patient with people. And also because if I thought there was a way to win, you know me guys well enough to know, I compete to the end. If I thought there was a way to win, I, I would be doing this. But the reason we didn't do all these candidate interviews this cycle, and we just did our very first one with somebody who's not my personal friend like Chip Roy with Chris McDaniel 20 minutes ago, is because with very limited exception, I don't think it matters which Republican you pick in a primary. You're going to get almost the exact same thing, nonetheless. And, and I've, 
I'm at an age now where I just don't feel a need to spill blood. Remember the conversation we had yesterday? I will firebomb Dresden, but not over a zoning ordinance. I, I don't, I don't, I don't have the stomach for just making enemies for enemy's sake anymore because I don't think it makes much of a difference, with very limited exception. I think had Ted Cruz been elected president of the United States, would have made a huge difference, which is why I was willing to exhaust every. Um, uh, every connection I had, leverage every contact and relationship I had, burn every bridge to do whatever I could to win. All right. But those are very limited exceptions anymore. I think the system is so corrupted, so stacked against us. It is the capital. It is district one that um, not much will change. And so, you know, my daddy taught me in between beatings, some really smart things. And one of the things he taught me was to work smart, not work hard. So if I'm gonna if if I'm gonna make all the same enemies, getting all the same nothing out of the system, I'd get not making a bunch of enemies. Why go out and make a bunch of enemies for no ROI? Why do that? I will turn every one of you into an enemy if I think the cause is just and it will win. But if it has no chance to prosper, all I'm doing is being a douche. It doesn't accomplish anything. These guys aren't worth. 97% of them or more aren't worth ruining your family Thanksgiving over, aren't worth ruining your family Christmas over, aren't worth ruining the wedding reception over, aren't worth blowing up your Facebook wall over. They're simply not. That being said, if the election were tomorrow, I would just go in there and vote straight ticket Republican, despite my loathing of the party, because the other side has literally declared war on me, and I have to acknowledge that. That's a crappy place for us to be. I've done everything in my power with every platform the Lord has given me to try and change that. It didn't work. I'm sorry. It's kept me up multiple nights. I've thought I've wasted a lot of time the last 10 years. But then if I hadn't have done it, then I'd regret that I didn't give it a shot. I gave it a shot. We lost. It didn't work. And so, you know, I'm going to pray for revival. And that's where I'm at. Let's play buy, sell, or hold. Aaron. I don't want to anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. First one from uh, Constantinus Roditis, who sponsors but not funds this part of the show. <laughs> and he's a, running for office. And he's running for office. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I even using this one on the heels of this conversation? <laughs> on October 19th, 2017, I asked, if by 2022 a conservative would win statewide office in California, you all sold. With the election next Tuesday, do you still sell? P.S. I know the date because I wrote an article the next day about this topic. Yeah, um, I sell. I think the state is too far gone spiritually. Um, and the key word you use there is a conservative. Do I think that? Do I think Democrats could so mismanage the state? that there could be a backlash vote like an Arnold Schwarzenegger recall election for a rhino Republican type? Sure. But an actual conservative, the values worthy of conservating are foreign entities to the vast majority of that state's electorate now. So, yes, sell. Sell, but please prove me wrong. And yes, God bless you, brother. You got the, maybe you have the urine and vinegar. I've exhausted it. I don't have any left. Prove me wrong, and I will never be, well, there's other things that could happen to be more thankful to be wrong about, but that would be pretty high on my list. Yes. Chris Pandolfo has this series to buy, sell, or hold. Trump follows through with the birthright citizenship executive order. Court knocks it down. Trump ignores the court like Andrew Jackson. Congress settles the issue with statute. Voter backlash to who whatever uh, Congress does sell. On sell, because I don't think we're going to get to step three. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. 
I think I think in true, if there's one thing Trump's a virtuoso at it, a shadow boxing. Yeah. And then when someone punches him back, he always backs down. All right, like, you know, China's a currency manipulator till he has lunch with Xi, and now he's a great guy. Uh, South Korea is uh, is the rocket man, murderous regime, and then he ball washes him live on CNN um, in Pyongyang or Seoul, wherever they met last or, or several months ago. So this is kind of his routine, the passive-aggressive thing. So um, the minute the court steps in and punches him back, he will fold. All right. Uh, next one. This one is in a similar vein. Ordinary Steve says if Trump actually does sign an executive order correctly rejecting birthright citizenship, it will go to the Supreme Court where it will be overturned by at least six to three. Kavanaugh and Roberts joining the progressives. Bye. I think that's 100 percent right. Bye. I didn't think he's got the names right. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know you want to, Todd. What? Bye. You know you. Well, wanna. I don't. What? What's the, the the word was overturned in there, right? There's not. This isn't. This, this speak to your point. What's there to overturn, Steve? I mean, the, well, Trump. Now, just that, Trump. You're, you're right. They have nothing. They they have no jurisdictional authority over. And, and it, you, but we live in it functionally, factually. You are correct. Functionally, we live in a society where they have the power to overturn. Any definitions yep. of so words. Isn't yep. that, What's a state yeah. exchange? Do we know what that is? Mm. Well, I looked it up. It means an exchange that happens in a state. But thanks to John Roberts, it doesn't mean that so anymore. Words don't mean words anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So isn't that ruling going to be the most verbose BS perhaps ever written? Since in- the last one they did. Well, yes. but, and that's saying something. And until yeah. the next one they do. But it's yeah. going to be a version of uh, we disagree with you and we're the Supreme Court and yep. you suckers all believe yep. that we get the last say. It's yeah. going to be that. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Yeah. There we go. Yep. Uh, your tribalism sucks, says the GOP loses the House by just enough seats to continue this aggressive form of purgatory we're in now. And then a bonus, peanut butter cups are a food group. I will buy, buy both. Because the bonus is strong. Yeah. The bonus the bonus is country strong. Buy. Bonus is good, but I'm uh, selling on the former. I still say GOP narrowly holds as of this moment. I don't understand, but we got a couple of tweets like this. We'll just use this one about most underrated bands in the 90s. I don't know if there's something going on that I'm not paying attention to, but Dwayne Barth says, Seven Mary Three yes, was the, 40 the year most are getting underrated nostalgic. That's band what's going of on. the 90s. Uh, sell. And I don't know who that is. Yeah, they had like one song. Uh, but the seven, the 40-year-olds are getting nostalgic. Ah. That's why this is coming <laughs> uh, But Sell. Yeah, Sell. So. Sell, so I can't even remember a song they did. Sell. So. So. Uh, Pat Riot says, buy, sell, hold. The next Ben and Jerry's ice cream flavor will be Sharia Sherbet. <laughs> buy. Buy. Oh, that's good. I'm going to buy. I'm going to buy uh, yeah. on principle. It's good. Yes. It's good. Reward your creativity. I like it. Jay Hinton says, Warner Brothers will not keep Henry Cavill. Is it Cavill or Cavill? It's Cavill. I thought Cavill this happened. as Superman. I don't understand. It has not, I know. It, it actually hasn't what happened yet. What is going yet. on here? I, what, what I think is happening is I think Cavill is trying to use the media to pressure Warner Brothers to make a decision about the direction they're taking the DCU and his career. Okay. And, and every time he pushes it and it looks like he's going to, he's, he's gone. The fans love him. And so like he's the fans, great. the fans come to his defense and then Warner brother says, no, he's not gone yet. And then months, another few weeks go by and Warner brother still has no future for him in Superman. And, and they're just doing the time warp again. Okay. So I, I so they're going to make Cavill great again. I don't know what Warner Brothers is doing. You know, they just delayed Wonder Woman for, but but it, it, that's because they wanted in a summer slot. I never thought it was, should have been a December movie anyway. You know, so here's I'm gonna I'm willing to be ostracized for this. I'm gonna put a hold, 
And the reason why I'm going to put a hold is I think a lot of what the future of the DCU will or will not be is riding on Aquaman in December. All right? I think that's, if, that's not good. That is not good. <laughs> I think yeah. if people like Aquaman, I think they will just do a retooling of Zack Snyder's universe. Okay? If Aquaman is a massive flop, and I think that could be one of the reasons why Wonder Woman is set in 1984. All right? I mean, it could be like a soft reboot of the DCU, if you know what I'm saying. Okay? So uh, I think that if people like Aquaman, then I think they'll just kind of tinker with updating Zack Snyder's universe. If they don't, then I think you will see a hard reboot of the DCU. So I'm going to hold on that. Uh, what was the, even the initial question? I'm lost in the mire of how bad they're screwing this up. Will not keep... Uh, yeah, yeah, they, they won't. They, I, this is depressing on how this is going, especially considering how uh, how much we love Avengers. Come on, guys. Have fun, for God's sakes. Rocco says Batman Forever wasn't a terrible movie. I, don't know. I agree. That's the Val Kilmer one, where um, um, where Jim Carrey is the Riddler. Is that the I fr- totally yeah. agree. Oh, yeah. It's a very underrated movie. Yeah, that's a good movie. And it gets a bad rap because it was Joel Schumacher's entree into the Batman universe, and the one that he did next with oh, George Clooney ruined it. Okay, So you're buying that? But Batman Forever is, yeah. is good. Yes, Nicole yeah. Kidman is smoking. Uh, and uh, Val Kilmer was underrated, I thought. I, Val, Batman Forever is a good movie. I agree wholeheartedly. I agree. All right. Uh, next one. Paul Mall says, not counting live games or events, ESPN's College Game Day is the greatest sports television show of all time. I will buy. There's this little thing called human interest stories that used to be a part mm-hmm. of you know journalism. Uh, still, College Game Day, at least from what I've seen over the last couple of years, they're really good at telling those stories. I'm asking myself, is it better than the old NFL today when we were kids with Brett Musburger and Jimmy the Greek? And then I'm wondering, is, am I only asking that because of age and nostalgia? Okay. So I'm going to buy. I, I think game day. If it, I, I, look, I, I, I would answer this like, you know, we won't get fooled again by the who may not be the greatest rock song of all time. There's just not one better. There may be a song as good as that, but there's not a better one. So there may be a sports show as good as game day, but it's not better than game day. So I'll buy. I, I will absolutely buy. There's so much broken now in both professional and college yeah. sports that here, they, I just said with uh, uh, the movie, uh, Batman. Uh, the, Batman to, Forever? To, well, but to know the- Oh, the how, DCU Batman. Yes, okay. to enjoy yourself. They enjoy themselves on yeah. that show. Instead of firing Lee Corso because he had a stroke, they decided, man- People love this guy, and they found a way with Craig James. Uh, not yep. Craig James, uh, uh, the, the guy who took Kirk Herb Street. Kirk Herb Street. He's just, we're going to make this work because this is fun. One of they, the dumbest sports takes I ever had was get rid of Lee Corso. He's a tough watch. And then I'm like, what in the world am I yeah. talking about? What a great thing they did for Absolutely. a guy that built this show. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and they, they put him on in spots, but to keep him there. Yes, people love him. I mean, sometimes I got to remember I need to be more of a human being. They bring the lo- uh, they bring celebrities on to pick with them. They have food mm-hmm. brought on every time from the local. They get this is supposed to be fun. And they do some really good analysis, too. Yeah. As well. Out of time. All right, great stuff. Apologize for the abbreviated bias of their hold. I'm blaming Aaron. I'm a victim. He asked me to talk about myself. I can't be asked to contain my ego. Don't ask that of me. This is true. That's true facts. <laughs> John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.